Well, good morning. For some of you, the most uncomfortable thing you have ever done was probably this meet and greet just right now. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day to everyone. That's moms. <laughs> you know, this is one of those days where um, we just absolutely want to honor and celebrate our moms. But it's also a day that can be hard for some women who are um, single, who have, um, don't have children, want to have children, and whatever. So we recognize that as well. And just want to say that um, we love you all. And we're praying. So we kind of hold this tension, right, between um, wanting to be sensitive to that, but yet also wanting to honor our moms. And so we recognize that. And um, praying for all of you. And just thanking God for, for you today. We, um, I was taking a group of college students to Atlanta, Georgia, to a conference called Thrive. And we were excited to go, and we popped in my minivan. There were seven of us, and we went from Kearney to Atlanta, drove all night, straight through. And I drove the majority of the time, and I, for whatever reason, college students just don't think um, of others very well sometimes, and, you know, they just let me drive, and so I drove the most of it. They were so kind and so nice to me. Kevin, you can drive. It's okay. So I drove the majority of the time. I don't remember how long it was, 18 hours, but that's a lot of time to drive, and we got there um, early in the morning around, you know, 8, that's not early, but I mean around 8 or 9, and we wanted to check into our hotel, and so I was hoping that we could check in early, and so I went into the hotel, and I'm just absolutely exhausted, and I go to the front desk, and they said, well, we have, uh, we don't have any rooms ready right now, but if you give us a little bit of time, um, we will get something ready for you, because we wanted to, to rest up, or I did, and get cleaned up and get ready for our conference. Well, I went back outside to tell the guys that um, that was what was going to happen, and they had left. They took my minivan, and they decided to go get breakfast. I don't know what happened, but I said, well, okay, thanks a lot. I went back into the hotel, and I found a chair that kind of was in the middle, you know, kind of on the outskirts of the thing, and I thought, well, I'll just sit down and just wait. And the next thing I know one of the boys is tapping me on the shoulder and says, Kevin, Kevin. And I had fallen asleep, slouched in my chair with my mouth open in drool, and I know I was snoring. And I go back up to the front desk, and the gal goes, I mean, I'm sorry, I fell asleep. And she goes, I know. <laughs> so why didn't you wake me up? Because you look so peaceful there. And that was uncomfortable, uncomfortable for me because I know it was at least two hours. <laughs> People were walking by me. I'm dreaming this up in my head, and I'm going, ah. <laughs> and people are walking by me. What an idiot he must be. Anyway, uncomfortable. I don't know if you've been in uncomfortable situations like you see somebody and you see them waving, and you don't know them, but you think you might know them, and so you wave back, and then all of a sudden, pretty soon, you get to realize that they're waving at the person 
behind you. And you go, ah, oh, yeah, right, okay. Right? Or there's um, mom and dads when you're supposed to have that talk with your teenagers or preteens, right? That can be uncomfortable for some. Owning up to a mistake that you might have made. Um, uh, forgetting someone's name. I know you. I should know your name. Going up and saying, hey, buddy. If I ever do that to you, you have my permission to slap me. No, no, don't do that. What about when you're in a situation where your body decides to talk? You know, that gurgling going on. And then my wife tells me, Kevin, you got to go to the bathroom. No, I don't. It's just something going on there. Anyway, that's embarrassing. <laughs> More than awkward. Uh, telling a joke that no one finds funny. That happens a lot to me as well. Uncomfortable. The awkward and essential challenge of being a part of a Christian community. And the reason why that is is because if something is uncomfortable for us, we tend to want to avoid it at all costs because we live in a culture, in a world that's all about comfort. It's all about being comfortable and it's being sold to us, right, everywhere we look. We're encouraged to do what we want. We're encouraged to do it when we want and with whomever we want. And that's what's being sold to us. That's what... Everyone else around us is doing that very same thing, and that's the mindset that we begin to develop. But when we become a follower of Christ, when we become a son, when we become a daughter, there's something different that happens, that he begins to turn this whole thing upside down, and this Christian faith really becomes uncomfortable. And that's what this series is all about. It's really helping us understand, helping us embrace, understand, and see the beauty and the hope in the challenging realities of being part of this family that we call church, local and global. One of my favorite verses in the Bible is John 13, 35, where Jesus is telling his disciples that the world is going to know that you are my disciples that you are the church by how you love one another. And I think that that at times, if we really dive into what love means, what that looks like can be very, very uncomfortable. And it can be awkward. And so we want to, I think, taking cues from, and if we're not growing deep in our walk with God and knowing him deeply, and knowing Christ that we can rather than take our cues from culture, from the world. And we begin to then protect ourselves from any uncomfortable situation we might find ourselves in or any kind of awkwardness. Because we want to know, right? we want to, to, to have the appearance of um, that we know what we're doing. That we want to be able to just um, to know what to say in right situations and how to act. In, in ways that can either distinguish us 
right, or help us to blend in with whatever situation or people group we might have chosen to be a part of. Sometimes that protection of ourself um, means that we begin to uh, deflect the very, reali- the very reality, right, that can draw us out of ourselves, which then moves us to being more Christ-like. In other words, we can um, do all these things to make ourselves uh, less uncomfortable, less awkward, but then in essence what we're doing is we're removing ourselves from the very thing that I believe Jesus calls us to that could be the very source of our growth, the greatest growth in our lives is when we're put in uncomfortable situations, in awkward situations with other fellow sons, fellow, fellow brothers, I mean fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Those moments when we see a brother or sister and they say, I love you, or they say, I'm concerned about you, or here's what you mean to me, and we, you know, we find that uncomfortable and we deflect a lot of times and we use humor to, to oh, you know, or whatever it might be, and we want to quickly get away from that kind of situation. And sometimes it's just not comfortable to be loved especially when we don't really believe that we're worth loving. And so we want to look at the gospel. We want to shine the light of the gospel into uh, our most awkward and uncomfortable hiding places in our life. Um, To move again to knowing God deeply to be more like Christ, to knowing that gospel, to be fluent in the gospel, to to know when lies that Satan has been telling us are lies and not truth, to be able to distinguish that. And sometimes God uses other people to be able to bring that to light in our life, and that can be very, very uncomfortable. I've been in plenty of situations where someone has said to me, Kevin, I'm concerned. And it can even, you know, it can be my wife or it can be a a brother in Christ or whatever it might be. And if I'm not open to that, I can either deflect it or give them the right answer or use humor or whatever it might be to remove myself from that. And then I've thwarted or prevented myself from developing to be more like Christ. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, those who love the dream, and I want you just to listen to this quote, those who love the dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community even though their personal intentions may be ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. And so that we're going to, It's what we're going to talk about specifically this morning. We're going to spend the next three weeks on this particular subject of uncomfortable, being uncomfortable in this awkward thing, what is Christian community. 
This morning, specifically, we're going to look at two passages, 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 5, and verse 9, and also John 12, verse 25. In this series, I've been reading this book called Uncomfortable by Brent McCracken, and it's really a lot of what we're going to talk about in, in, in these next three weeks is fleshed out even more further with this book, and we're going to pull from that, we're going to pull from scripture, and hopefully come to... Um, really a good conclusion about what it really means to be involved in this thing we call church. And we want to fully, fully embrace it. And that's the primary message this morning. The author writes in the book that he um, sits oftentimes in his office or in church even, and he dreams about his dream church. And and he goes at length to describe what that looks like in the book. And I just want to pull just a little bit from that. And he goes, "Um, on days when I'm sitting in my real church and feeling frustrated by something, which probably never happens here, I sometimes daydream about my ideal church, the one where I would feel completely understood where my perspectives would be valued, where my gifts and passions would flourish, I dream about a church that I would always be proud and never embarrassed of to call home. A church so amazing that any non-Christian who visited would never want to leave. He goes on to say, listen, we're never going to find that kind of church because as soon as you walk into that church... It becomes, right, not perfect anymore because all of us aren't perfect yet. But it's the way that we've been conditioned to think as we've grown up in this culture. It's this have-it-your-way consumerism, and it's really the air that we breathe. We just, that's just what we breathe in all the time. And it's all about unlimited choice. It's all about unlimited speed. And we choose exactly what we want. We take all we want from that. And if we don't like it, we move on. And if we're not careful, this mindset can infiltrate the church. Or more, maybe more Specifically, the way we approach church, the way you and I approach church. Because I think that we come and approach church as a, um, we come into it with this idea that um, I can design my church according to this checklist of preferences that I have. And when I come into church with that mindset, then if they stop catering to that, to my desires, or make me feel uncomfortable, well, what am I going to do? Well, I don't really have any loyalty there, so I'm just going to pop up and move on to the next one. Because, right, there's dozens of other options of church in whatever city you might be in. Consumerism, I feel like, is one of the main problems in churches today. And consumerism is just chronic dissatisfaction in whatever has happened to you at the moment. 
Because we're always on this quest for more, for better, for bigger, hoping for this new heights of satisfaction, trying to find something, in essence, trying to find something in the church that only Jesus Christ can give you and I. It's that whole, you've heard the saying, right? The grass is always greener on the other side. The grass is always greener at the trending new church that's popping up next week. We see that. If you don't think that's true, we see that a lot, even in Omaha. A new church starts, and we see this group of people that just kind of gravitate from one that used to be the cool church to now to the next one. And then it goes to the next one. And then it goes to the next one. And I just think there's something wrong with that. And so the point is, is that we really need to work hard at destroying or debunking this toxic, consumeristic approach to church. If we always approach church through the lens of um, wishing this or wishing that this was different or longing for a church that gets me, quote-unquote, or meets me where I'm at, um, we'll, I feel like we'll never commit to anywhere. And there's a little jab that he gets in the book, and I'll just say it, but he says, as Protestants, um, we'll just go start our own church. And that's kind of an unhealthy way to start another church. But see, church shouldn't be about being perfectly understood and, and being met in our comfort zone. Because this is what church should be about. It should be about understanding God more and meeting him where he is. And when we understand that, that it's not a consumeristic approach, it's more of a selfless approach, that I am here, God, who do you want me to say hi to? Who do you want me to smile to? Who, who needs a hug today? Who needs just a simple listening ear? Who needs encouragement? Or whatever it might be. And we're just going to be a family together. When we begin to approach church that way, then I believe it can be uncomfortable, but yet a very, very beautiful, beautiful thing. What we want from church is rarely what we need. However challenging it might be to embrace God's idea of church, it is far more glorious than anything that you can dream up as your dream church. So it's not about finding a church that fits my particular, um, that fits exactly my theology, or it may, or the type of building that we're in, or even my political preferences. It's about what First Peter two four through seven or four through five talk about. It's about being living stones that are being built up, as Scripture says, as a spiritual house. That's what. You and I are, as sons, as daughters, that we are living stones, that we're being built up as a spiritual house together, focused on and held together by one person, that's Jesus Christ. 
because he was the stone that the builders rejected, right? He became the cornerstone of this thing called church. It's about collectively spurring one another on, right? In the likeness of Christ. We see that in Ephesians 4 through 5. And I want you to know that those things can happen in any sort of church. As long as that church is fixed on Jesus, as long as that church is anchored in the gospel, as long as that church is committed to the authority of Scripture, then I believe that it can be the right fit for you. So it becomes about being committed, even though there's discomfort. It becomes about being faithful, even amidst disappointment. The worship is not vibrant enough. Um, the pastor is boring. The pastor doesn't do this or do that. Or um, they don't do this kind of program. Or they know that kind of program. Or we don't have any, we can't have any control of the carpet color in here. So I can't say that one. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. They're not, they don't have a permanent facility. They're a mobile church. Whatever it might be, Right. There's going to be hard times as a family. We are going to have, you're going to be disappointed in me. I'm going to tell you that right now. I'm going to do things that you're not going to like. I'm going to say things that you're not going to like. And if I dress the way you don't like, please tell me. And I'll get a different wardrobe. A healthy relationship with the local church is a lot like a healthy marriage. It only works when it's grounded in selfless commitment and a non-consumeristic type approach to the relationship, or non-consumeristic covenant in the relationship. And so it's embracing the comfort of having a relationship with Jesus Christ, which then leads us to live uncomfortable lives for him. It's about really recovering this willingness to live and to do hard things for Jesus, to embrace hard truths in our life to confront and to lovingly um, help a brother or sister move forward in their walk with him. To, to do life together with people who can sometimes be um, obnoxious and hard and all of that. All for the sake and the glory of the one who did the hardest thing, right, in Jesus in that he embraced and was obedient to God, to his father, and said, all right, I am going to die for people who don't like me. Who are separated from God. So here's the first point. I had just a long intro. And maybe that was uncomfortable for you. I don't know. 
But here's the first point. Church is not about your preferences. It's about knowing God. In 1 Peter 2, Peter, when he was writing to various churches, um, they were experiencing all kinds of persecution and, and that kind of thing. And he shares what it means to be this chosen people of God. So just like Jesus was the living stone, right, rejected by humans, but chosen by God, and it was very precious to him, Christians, sons and daughters, right, are called to be living stones. That's what that says in 1 Peter, that are being built into the spiritual house to be holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And he's presenting, Peter is, he's presenting this image of a community that's entirely focused on Jesus. When we're entirely focused on Jesus, what are we not entirely focused on? Ourselves. What else? Situations. Preferences. Dissatisfaction. A lot of things, right? When we're entirely focused on Jesus, we're on this mission together. We're not focused on other things. And it's a community that, when we're these living stones and we're being, being built up for the glory of our Heavenly Father, it's a community that puts aside its preferences, quarrels, and comfort zones. Why? But for the sake of becoming these living stones. The entire purpose of this thing called Church of Finding Life Church is to be this holy, set-apart nation declaring the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. Right? That's what this is all about. Just the very thing that happened to you individually. Now, if you imagine that time when you came to know Christ and you realize that you moved from, you made that U-turn that we talked about, and we had those baptisms, and they went under, and they came up, and now they have this new life in Christ, right? And you have this new life, and you're excited. Can you imagine that together? We have these collective groups of people who that has happened to every one of them, and we get to move forward, right, in that awkwardness, but the reason why we're moving forward is because we have the same Jesus, we have the same Holy Spirit, we have the same Father, And together we begin to declare and we begin to work through our differences. We begin to work through our quarrels just like a marriage does. We put aside our preferences. We put aside our selfish wants and desires. And we go, I want to live my life for Christ and I want to do it in a community and here we go. The reality is, is that this dream church that we long for really is a myth. It doesn't exist. The reign of Jesus Christ, though, is very real and it's very eternal. And so becoming living stones that, that are acceptable to God should be our ultimate aim. Listen to this from uh, Charles Spurgeon, who was a famous preacher. And this is what he said, if I have 
If I had never joined a church till I found one that was perfect, I should never have joined one at all. In that moment, I did join it. If I had found one, I should have, I should have spoiled it, for it would, have, it would not have been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. Still imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. All who have first given themselves to the Lord should as speedily as possible give themselves to the Lord's people. As I have already said, the church is faulty, but that is, that is no excuse for your not joining it if you are the Lord's. I mean, that's just an incredible statement there. And so here is that one application for this point, is that it's easy to have a consumeristic approach when it comes to committing to a church. In other words, do I like their worship style, or is the preaching entertaining enough? Does he tell enough jokes? Does he make me laugh enough? Uh, is the church down the street a better fit for me? But when we allow a market or a consumeristic mindset to influence our spiritual lives, that's a slippery slope to our faith becoming less about knowing and serving God and more about finding a community that serves me and my desires. Rather than trying to form communities around our own preferences, we must be allowed to be formed by God and his people. Point number two. The Christian life is supposed to be uncomfortable. So simply embrace it. John 12, 25. While predicting his death, Jesus, that is, Jesus tells the crowd that following him requires dying to ourselves. And so when he says that, this is challenging, it's countercultural, and it's not very comforting on the surface. And what he's saying is if you love the comforts of this world or life above all else, you're going to miss out on the comforts of having eternal life in heaven. Temporary versus eternal. And I don't know if you've realized this, but this life is not all that there is. And so we need to begin to live with an eternal mindset, perspective in our mind. The author writes, following Christ is not one's golden ticket to a white picket fence American dream. It's an invitation to die to pick up a cross. C.S. Lewis writes this, just going to deepen this a little further. I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want a religion to make you feel really uncomfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. What the author and C.S. Lewis are saying is that it's easy to find basic um, happiness and comfort. But living the Christian life and being part of a church community requires making sacrifices that, that may feel uncomfortable in the moment, but ultimately will help you become more like Jesus, and that's our goal, right? Will ultimately help you become more like Jesus, and I believe is a trade-off that's well worth it. 
This kind of thinking helps us move from, or helps us distinguish when the world looks at you, and we're living that way, it distinguishes between true Christianity and almost Christianity. I feel like a lot of churches are in this almost Christianity phase rather than true Christianity. When we begin to understand that, it'll begin to revive and renew and there's a sense of purpose and it's alive and it's exciting even though it's uncomfortable, even though it's hard. And so I'm asking for us to put aside our comfort, to put aside our preferences, to put aside our consumeristic mindset. Why? Because there's something greater out there. Right? You know it to be true if you placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Now let's do it collectively. Jesus tells us what it will cost to follow him. It costs our lives. It costs my preferences. It costs my selfishness. And all of us know that we grow more when we leave our comfort zones. If all we ever do is stay in our little comfort zone, we're not going to grow very much in our life. When we begin to open ourselves up, one of the things that God has placed on my wife's heart is this thing called the table. And friends of ours built this table, and we put it in our front yard. And she is terrified to do this, but she is so diligent and so willing to go out there and have a picnic or have a lunch or whatever and meet different people. And, and she drags me along because I am not an extrovert, and it's hard for me. And, and I have to battle this all the time. But let me tell you that, you know, I was out there one day with her, and we met several different people, and they walked, and they stopped, and they chatted with us, and they just said, wow, what a great idea. What a great idea. And, and I tell you, when in my heart and in my wife's heart, you know, it's uncomfortable, it's awkward, but I know that God is using that to grow us as a couple and as individuals. And I'm excited to see where it takes us as a family. See, that kind of, that's the kind of thing that if we, don't, if we stay in our comfort zone all the time, we're not going to grow. But when we commit to a local church, when we say yes to that, it opens us up all these uncomfortable situations. And I believe then we will grow and become more like Christ. I'm going to quickly tell you points three and four, because uh, we need to wrap it up. We already heard it in John 12, 25, that following Jesus means denying ourselves and taking up our own crosses. So that's point three. And then point four is this, is that Jesus provides the ultimate example. And we can look to Christ as our ultimate example about someone who did not give up when times were hard. I mean, what would it have been like if God would have said, you know what, I don't like these people and I'm going to go get another group of people, or whatever it might be, Israel, talking about Israel, or even us in our life. So 
So I think it's comforting to know that when we walk down this path, we've had someone who's already walking it down before us, and that's Jesus. That he's our ultimate example, and we can have comfort in that. And so I'm asking this morning, are we willing to lay aside our dream church consumeristic fantasies, I guess, and really embrace and accept these hard-to-stomach truths that are in God's Word and these awkward requirements that we're asked to do by locking arms with weird people, which you and I are. Let's just say it how it is. We can be weird. And God says, I want you to lock arms with them, all in this common pursuit of Jesus Christ. And when we do that, when we lock arms, and we're not concerned about carpet color, and we're not concerned about, that doesn't mean that we get a pass in not making it excellent. It doesn't mean that we don't listen to suggestions. It just means that at the end of the day, the most important thing is to be like Christ, is to follow him, and to show the world that you and I can get together and we can argue and, and we can discuss, but ultimately we still love each other. And that to me is the greatest testament to, the, to being sons, to being daughters in Jesus Christ. And I, that's my prayer. My prayer is that this is what will be Finding Life Church. Embracing the uncomfortable awkwardness of church life and saying, I'm going to commit to that. I'm going to embrace it and I'm going to love you. Deal? <laughs> I'll give you more time to think about it. <laughs> Let's worship together.